This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, November 25th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Items on Americans' ballots this month included the typical crop of candidates, but voters also weighed in on ballot issues on how people vote, abortion, the separation of powers, involuntary servitude, and ending some drug prohibition. Cato's Walter Olson discusses some of the more notable ballot measures voters faced this year. When I first heard uh, on the radio that slavery was on the ballot in uh, at least one state, I thought to myself, this is obviously a profound overstatement. Uh, And then looking into it, even just at a cursory level, not really. Well, many states had allowed under their constitutions uh, involuntary servitude as part of criminal punishment. And although I don't think this probably had a practical effect, uh, I haven't, haven't looked into it, there has been a movement to wipe this language off the books as part of a general cleaning up of outdated things, and particularly things connected with slavery. So that's just sort of just one example of what was uh, on the ballot in, in many states. Do you happen to know how many states have uh, make it easy to put things on their ballots? It's something like 15 or 18, and the procedures differ a lot uh, at the margin, which is why it's so hard to get an exact number. Uh, Sometimes it's possible to put it on, but it's very burdensome to get enough signatures, or the legislature can intervene in certain ways, or courts can strike it down very easily. But judging from reform areas that have been popular in the past, such as redistricting reform. There are about a dozen states where the process is highly usable and typically is used a fair bit. And then there are another half dozen states where it's hard to use and is used at least occasionally, sometimes on a popular issue like cannabis. Okay. Speaking of cannabis, that issue was on the ballot in several states. uh, And shockingly to me, being somebody who was born in Missouri and grew up a good bit in Missouri, Missouri legalized pot. And that is for somebody who lives in Kentucky where uh, medical cannabis is still, uh, we're still waiting on that here for for sick people. Uh, Shocking. But it indicates a very broad shift in public opinion. And it's been going on for a while. It reaches Republicans, not just Democrats. The public really does have a different view. And so the sorts of opposition from law enforcement interests, sometimes from churches, from uh, just those who who saw nothing wrong with the old system, which was always enough to carry the day in many of the less urban states. It's no longer enough. What else jumped out at you uh, with respect to uh, ballot level initiatives or or think proposals on the ballot? Initiative, of course, is its own process. Yeah. And of course, if we turn to referendums that a legislature has chosen to put on the ballot, then you do have more states that without is a a factor. Uh, Constitutional changes, for example, uh, are commonly put on the ballot even when you have a state that's very restrictive about allowing citizen initiative, uh, citizen initiated things. They'll still do referendums for, for constitutional changes. Well, besides cannabis as an area and 
one of the active areas which I watch closely is election reform. And very visibly, a lot of cities and one state considered versions of ranked choice voting, which was extremely successful at, at the ballot. It, uh, it passed either everywhere or nearly everywhere. A lot of other election-related measures were on the ballot too. You had both liberal and conservative ideas. Uh, you had Arizona, I believe, turning down a proposal for voter ID, even though that polls very well. It, it's generally a very popular reform. You have Michigan passing a package of things from the more liberal side. So again, you find a lot depends on the wording. A lot depends on, for want of a better word, the mood the voters are in a particular year. Uh, some ideas like ranked choice voting are clearly popular, although you have to remember that it, where it was put on the ballot were typically the sort of cities that would be more favorable in anyway. Seattle, Washington, Portland, Oregon. And the most far-reaching uh, of those reforms, uh, and we'll be hearing more about it because of the way Nevada does these things, is Nevada's uh, preliminary approval of something that would rank it with Alaska as the two states that had swept away primaries as we know them in favor of a universal primary followed by a ranked choice voting election. Now, people have followed that Alaska system, which got its trial run this year after being approved by Alaskans a couple of years ago. The way Nevada does it, again, it's fascinating how every state is different. Nevada says that for uh, at least big constitutional changes like this, it has to pass in two different elections. So it passed the first time by something like 52-48 or 53-47, and it will be back. And so Nevadans may or may not approve it a second time, but if so, then the state will join Alaska in this interesting new system in which the, at the primary stage, everyone can come vote. Independence, people aren't limited to candidates from within their party. And then a crucial difference, and I would say improvement, over the so-called jungle primary that you've seen in California and Washington State, and I think Louisiana, where only the top two proceed to a general election. It's top five instead, or four in Alaska. And that's important because uh, the glitch in the California jungle primary is that you often wind up with two people from generally the same side of the spectrum. One side feels as if they are not represented by anyone that they even vaguely like in the general election. Well, when five candidates, the top five candidates, are all advancing to the general, then by and large, most of the voters are going to find someone who was close to a top pick there to choose from. And the problem of that problem of the jungle primary, which is sometimes excluding a nearly half the electorate, is not going to be a problem. So, so we'll see. Has a real possibility of bypassing some of the problems with the party primary system that we've seen and complained about, the, the capture by the base, the fact that small electorates, because at this point in a lot of states, half or more of the voters are unaffiliated, but returns to a much larger electorate and not just one dominated by the base of, of the respective parties, the choice of who's going to be on the final ballot also potentially good for third parties and insurgents. So what do you make of the results in Alaska? There were a lot of complaints that, for example, Sarah Palin, who is running for uh, Congress, didn't do as well as you might have expected. 
The Alaska results were fascinating and, in my view, were exactly what you would expect to play out and reflected the strength of the different candidates. Start with the House because everyone knows Sarah Palin. She has complained bitterly about a system in which, with a field of two Republicans and one Democrat, the Democrat won in the special election and it's looking like the Democrat will win in the general election. When you get down to the thing that ranked choice voting probes for, which is uh, what are people's second choices and uh, how broad an appeal do they have, you find that in a one-on-one -on -one matchup between Sarah Palin and the Democrat Mary Peltola, Palin would probably have lost and it wouldn't even have been, been close because so many of the candidates supporting Nick Begich, the other Republican, had consciously decided they didn't want to vote for Palin. It was a personal unpopularity. Also coupled in this case, even though Alaska is a Republican state, by the fact that Peltola is an unusually successful crossover candidate. She was closely tied with Lisa Murkowski, the Republican caucusing senator she managed uh, Murkowski's campaign. She is apparently pro-guns, pro-pipelines, pro-energy production, various things that you don't find in National Democrats, but which resonate in Alaska a lot. So I don't give much weight to Sarah Palin's particular complaint. I think that she lost because she lost, and that was on her. On the Senate side, fascinating result, which is that two Republicans made it into the, the, the Democrat put up only a token effort. You had Kelly Chewbacca, the Trump wing Republican, and Lisa Murkowski herself. The Democrats' second choice votes are very likely to go to Lisa Murkowski, which is why she is probably going to be reelected again. Saw an exemplar of the problem with party primaries and that Lisa Murkowski, uh, pretty clearly the consensus candidate of enough Republicans and enough Democrats that she would make Alaska's choice, but she couldn't win a Republican primary um, because of who turns up in Republican primaries. This Alaska reform, which to be honest, was drawn up by people in part in order to give Senator Murkowski an easier chance to appeal to the entire electorate. But it, uh, on that Senate race, it seems to have done exactly what people expected it to. She'll be back. I want to make note of two things on my ballot uh, in Kentucky. One was Amendment 1, which would have allowed the General Assembly, without the permission of the governor, they, they need permission from the governor, to call themselves into a special legislative session. That, that amendment would have allowed them to do that, among other things. And Amendment 2, which would have essentially compelled courts to conclude that there is nothing in the state constitution that indicates or confers any right to an abortion. In a state, a red state like Kentucky, uh, where Rand Paul was easily returned to the U.S. Senate, both of those amendments failed. And I, I guess my there, there has to be some overlap uh, between Rand Paul voters and people who don't really like the state government having a lot of power. In fact, that that could be quite a few people. Well, starting with the abortion issue, that has turned out in ballot measures very differently from what many conservatives expected it to do. And uh, Kansas, of course, got attention earlier in the year as 
a famously conservative state, not going with the anti-abortion side in the statewide uh, vote on it. And there are a couple of issues here. One is that there are still, despite the long-standing polarization around the issue by the parties, there are still a lot of uh, Main Street conservatives and Republicans who don't happen to be on board with all of the Republican Party's views on abortion. Sometimes they are in favor of some restrictions, uh, but not as many. But also, if you go back, these issues used to be you know, there, there was a time, if you were old enough, you remember where a lot of the abortion, anti-abortion movement was centered in the Democratic Party because churches fell out somewhat differently at that point. The conservative Protestant churches had not been as convinced to make it a major issue. So all of that leaves in place a lot of people who may have doubts about the general issue or, and I think this is important, may have doubts about putting it in their state constitution. They may figure, you know, look, our state is now free to set a balance based on the legislators we elect. Putting it in the constitution just, you know, takes away some of the possible give and take about uh, exactly where the line should be. And again, re returning to public opinion polls, most public opinion polls find that the public is broadly in the middle and not entirely at one end or the other of the spectrum on abortion legislation. On the Kentucky ballot measure on the balance of power between the governor and the legislature. And that's obviously one of the things at stake when you allow the legislature to uh, make a decision on its own on something important like that. But I am fascinated by the model uh, followed in Kentucky, also followed in Maryland, my own state, and many others of having a part-time legislature in session for only certain months or even alternative sessions every other year. This tends to correlate closely with having a so-called citizen legislature where all of them have other full-time jobs. And it's tempting to guess that the more you retain that model of a legislature that comes into session only occasionally, the more limited government will be. I have to caution that reporting from Maryland, which is a state that does have that system, but has a pretty big government with lots of agencies, lots of regulation, there isn't necessarily a 100% correlation. Nonetheless, it is an interesting constraint on the legislature that it has to get its work done quickly, that it has to think of itself as mainly civilian, which is, I would argue, psychologically one of the effects of limited legislative sessions. And Kentucky faced that question, which does have trade-offs. There are definitely trade-offs in effectiveness because emergencies come up, because important legislation falls through the cracks in a sharply time-limited legislative session. I, I want to make mention, um, you know, pot was on the ballot in Missouri and uh, elsewhere, but psychedelics were on the ballot in Colorado, which follows Washington, D.C. and Oregon, uh, and I think California in in having those kinds of measures on the ballot. Is there anything in particular notable about what Colorado did? Their, their measure passed. Uh, but is there anything notable in what Colorado did that differs from the previous experience? Well, with the psychedelics, I would say that we now have a trend underway. I did find Colorado's combination of outcomes uh, to be surprising because Colorado was also offered the chance to 
uh, make permanent uh, pandemic relaxation of things like alcohol delivery, uh, which I thought, especially in a place like Colorado, which thrives on tourism, they were probably going to see it. Sure, let's do it. I believe that measure actually failed. And it reminds us that the public attitudes on these things are still very much in formation. An issue like cannabis, because it's been around for so long, everyone has had opportunities both to make up their mind and to change their mind based on the failure of drug war efforts. An issue like alcohol delivery is still new, and people may not be quite sure what they think of it. Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.